You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. Genesis chapter 40, and I'll begin with verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them. And he served them, and they continued a season in ward. And they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his own dream in one night. Each man, according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers, that were with him in the ward of of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look you so sadly today? And they said unto him, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray you. So we're going to stop right there. I'm just going to, we know this story. We know a lot of what has happened to Joseph. He's in prison now, and we have this unusual moment that has been placed before before Joseph. The the first thing that I, the first thought that comes to me as, as I begin this look is that there are many times, most of the time, when we pray, especially, when we put our petitions before God, what we're really doing is saying, God, I want you to intervene in my situation. I want you to intervene in my circumstance. I'm, this is going on. I need your help. This is going on. I need your assistance. I need your comfort. I need your strength. So we often ask for God to intervene. But one of the things that's routinely missing from our conversations with God is our, the question, okay, God, I see the circumstance, I see the situation, what does it mean? What are you doing? What is your purpose in this? Is there a purpose in this? So rarely do we ask him, you know, I What's being asked here, Father, interpret for me what I'm seeing. We ask for intervention. We just rarely ask for interpretation. And one of the things that why that's so necessary is that he may not have any intention of changing our situation or circumstance because the purpose is being accomplished through it. But if we don't learn to ask him, Father, what is your purpose here? What are you doing? I, I deal with this often. I deal a lot with people coming to me and saying, this is what Satan's doing. 
And I'll stop them and say, it's not necessarily Satan. The situation may be challenging. The circumstance may be challenging, but it may be God. It's most likely God doing something in the life of his children. So it should be a natural part of, how, of, our, of our intimacy with God or of our conversation with God is, is to say, God, what is your purpose? Interpret for me what's happening so that I can understand what's, what's really going on. Joseph had a, a lot going on. We, again, we know this. He, he's been he's betrayed by his brothers, sold by his brothers. He was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. And now he has been forgotten about languishing in prison. But there's a key to this remarkable life of Joseph. It's... It, the study of Joseph is, a, is just an interesting study all the way around. But there's a, there's a key to this remarkable life, even in all of these difficult and challenging circumstances. Notice that Joseph did not say to these two dreamers that he could help or that he had the power to interpret. He didn't say, hey, guys, I can help you. He didn't say, tell me your dreams, I know how to interpret dreams. So one of the aspects of this remarkable life is that he put all of his claims on God. When he said this, do not interpretations belong to God? Why does this matter? When we, when we begin, even in a greater way perhaps than we ever have, to run this ambulance service, to be arms and legs, to be reaching further, for our voices to go further, for to deal with broken lives in a, in a larger circle. One of the things that we have to get settled within us right now is that I can never, ever, ever offer to help. Notice that Joseph did not offer himself as help. He didn't say to them, I can help you. I know how to interpret dreams. He put all of his claims, all of the power, all, everything that was about to happen, he knew where to put it. We have to know where to put it. The worst thing that could happen is for us to take this adventure, its expanded reality of service, and thinking somehow that it has to originate in us. That, that knob has to be moved to, to off. It cannot be me. I cannot take up a charge and say, okay, here we go. Joseph in all the difficulty he was facing, we're, we are in uh, Genesis 40. Uh, if you want to join us there. He did not say to these two who, who had, had dreams that I, I know how to interpret dreams. Tell me your dreams, I can help you. He made sure he put it all back on God. I don't know how many times in my office, some of you have been there and heard it, where I will point to the walls and say, no diplomas. 
no certificates, no degrees. I cannot help you. I don't have anything to give you. But I'm, I'm willing right here with you to expose your story to the Spirit of God. I'm, I'm, I'm here with you to let him reveal what neither one of us yet know. I'm here with you to help you discover what he knows and his answer. But I take off the board quickly, especially with people that, who walk in from Lubbock or somewhere else that don't know me. I tell them quickly, I don't have anything. We have to get that very, very settled within us or we will take on responsibilities and wear ourselves out. Let's go to verse 9. And the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded, and her blossom shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, and I pressed them, into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said unto him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore thee unto thy place, and thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand after the former manner when thou wast his butler. But think on me when it shall be well with thee. So, so Joseph is saying, When you're doing this, and this really works out, I sure would like for you to remember that I'm here in this prison. I'd like for, that, for you to have that reminder. But think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing that should put me into the dungeon. So this good interpretation for the for the chief butler prompted the second of these to seek the same. Like, well, that's pretty good. My turn now. And so he asked Joseph to continue. When the chief baker saw, verse 16, when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said unto Joseph, I also was in my dream, and behold, I had three white baskets on my head, and the uppermost basket there was all manners of baked meats for Pharaoh. And the birds did eat them out of the basket upon my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation thereof. The three baskets are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off of thee and shall hang thee on a tree. And the birds shall eat thy flesh from off of thee. Like, hey. It's not fair. Hey, it's fair. <laughs> should have just kept it to myself. Joseph, as well as we do today, didn't have the power to change someone's situation or circumstance. That's a hard thing to do in ministry. There's a lot of tangible, physical things that we can do. We can help somebody with their home. We can help somebody with their car. There's a lot of tangible things we can do. But whether that tangible thing we do really creates a change within, within them is something I cannot affect. That's, that's their choice. 
And most of the things that come to us, we will recognize very quickly, I cannot fix your problem. I can't, I can't solve all this going on in your story. So we notice here that Joseph, as well as we do today, didn't have the power to change someone's situation or to change their circumstance. He wasn't going to be able to stop what he saw in this dream. Of course, the second man was disappointed that this was not as favorable. It was devastating to hear the interpretation of this dream. Verse 20, it came to pass the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again, and he gave the cup unto Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them, yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but he forgot him. So here's Joseph again, forgotten and alone in the dungeon because the one with the favorable interpretation had forgotten him. The outcome of this effort for Joseph, forgotten. Now we're going to realize before I, and see before I get finished that Joseph is involved in the interpretation of three dreams. These two count as one. Three events, three situations. Joseph is going to be involved in the interpretation, the clarification of three of these moments. That is the first one. <clears throat> Genesis 41, verse 1. And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river. And I'm not going to read all that. We know what that dream was. The seven cows and seven more cows. Verse 8. Came to pass in the morning that, that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt, and all the wise men thereof, and Pharaoh told them this, this dream. But there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh two years later, saying, I do remember my faults this day. <clears throat> Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put, put me in ward of, in the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker. And we dreamed a dream in one night, I and he. We dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream. And there was there with us a young man, a Hebrew, servant to the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted to us our dreams. To each man according to his dream he did interpret. And it came to pass as he interpreted to us, so it was. Me he restored unto my office, and in him he hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon, and he shaved himself and changed his raiment, came in unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I've dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee thou hast, that thou can understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. There it is again. You see the attribute. You see the quality in this remarkable story. He had a great understanding that this is totally about what God could do through him. 
Every one of us need that settled. On a large scale, we need it settled. It is, it's going to be about what God can do through us. Because as with Joseph, we often do not realize that the current challenge, that which is in front of us, is the means by which God is going to answer our most pressing question. We know where this story goes. We've heard it hundreds of times. We know where this story goes. What happens if you leave out this piece? What happens if you leave out any portion of Joseph's struggle? What happens? Well, it's all of this about. Joseph saving his people. Joseph rescuing a starving Hebrew nation. All of it. So right here, we're realizing that his moment before Pharaoh, this new challenge, this new moment that he's facing is going to be the means by which that comes. So he's in the middle now of this second interpretation. Pharaoh's problem, oh, we need this. Pharaoh's problem was Joseph's opportunity. That will change a heart. That will change our lives. Instead of looking at people saying, oh, here they come with their problem again. Here they come again. Here they come with another need. Here they come with another situation. Here they come with another story. With, if, if we will understand that the problem set before us right now that allows us to minister, allows us to help someone I, I don't know how far to, I don't want to over-spiritualize this. But I can't tell you how many sermons that I have preached, including the one this morning. After what I had heard on Thursday driving to Lubbock, I realized that what he was revealing to me had actually originated in a conversation that I'd had the previous Friday talking to someone because there's so many times when somebody's in my office and I'm drawing something on the flip chart or talking to them about something, some revelation will come that I've never seen before. I will tell them something and I'm realizing I'm learning it right there, right then. And I know that in the middle of that challenge where I'm involved, he's giving me something beyond what I can currently see because I'm going to need it sometime later. And he does it often, showing me something, teaching me something, bringing something that I've never seen before, and it's done, and I realize how often I'm going to use it over the next month. He does it on and on and on and on. So here, he, here is Joseph in this, in this next moment. He's helping Pharaoh, but it's ultimately his blessing because Pharaoh's problem was Joseph's opportunity. Verse, verse 17, I don't know if I need to read all this or not, there's a whole lot of it there. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph in my dream, behold, I stood up on the bank of the river and behold, there came out of the river seven kind, fat-fleshed and well-favored 
and, and they fed in the meadows. I'm not going to read all this. We know what it was. Seven fat cows, seven skinny cows, seven good years, seven years of famine. It allowed Pharaoh and all his nation to get ready to save food. He puts Joseph in charge of all this. <clears throat> uh, let me see where I want to get back, jump back in here. So the plan that Joseph begins to tell Pharaoh starts in verse 34. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers of the land and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years and let them gather all the food in those good years that come and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. And that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land perish not through the famine. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh, in the eyes of all of his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man whom the Spirit of, in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, Forasmuch as God has showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than you. Man, turn of events. Now again, had, if there had been any point, I believe, if, if Joseph would have said, oh, I'm here to help. If he had ever owned what God, only God could do, these moments would not have occurred. So that is the conclusion of the second of Joseph's opportunities to deal with others' dreams. The baker and the butler, the first event. The Pharaoh now, the second event. So whose dream is left? His own. The next one that he has to deal with is his own. Now, we remember what it was that he saw his brothers. He saw his father bowing to him. It was that dream that he shared that angered his brothers so much. But see, Joseph has never understood his own dream. Joseph has never seen the interpretation of what God intended for him to actually see. So the next one will be his own. The next scripture describes his visit with his brothers. All that long part is in about four chapters of his brothers coming, him sending them back, him getting Benjamin there. All that was done, him, him understanding the heart of his brothers, discovers that his father's still alive. All of that happens in those subsequent chapters. But Genesis 45, if you would just turn a few pages back. Verse 1, Genesis 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him, and he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph, Joseph said unto his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto them, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now therefore be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves, that you sold me here, for God did not send me before you, I'm sorry, 
for God did send me before you to preserve life. He now understands that third interpretation of a dream, the clarity that needed to come to him was only, think about this, was only made possible by that which he would have, if he had had the choice, he would have immediately removed. He would have removed the struggle of slavery. He would have removed the accusation by Potiphar's wife. He would have removed being forgotten. He would have removed any of those situations and those circumstances. But it was because he was willing to interpret to seek understanding, to seek clarity in those by the hand of God that he now gains understanding of his own. That is us. If we will simply go back where we started in, in our prayer life, instead of simply asking him to intervene in our situations, if we'll ask him to interpret our situations. It, it's, it's not an asking why, except in the fact that God, if this is of you, then you've got purpose in it. You've got something here that I need to gain, something here I need to learn, something that I need to understand. One of the more common of these, and, I, and I, this is a pretty common one for me, back in my office and meeting in Lubbock and it, with individuals, They'll describe a situation and the hardship of it and sometimes the extreme hardship of it and, the, and the, the immediate thing they go to is why is God letting Satan do this? Why is God letting this difficult thing come to me, to my family, to my situation, to my circumstance? And again, very often I will tell them, I don't want to shock you, but I'll tell you right now, it's not Satan. This is not Satan. This is God because he's got a question for you. The most common question, certainly, that gets asked by God of all of us, and he'll bring us into these moments. Hebrews, I think it's 12 or 13, I think it's Hebrews 12, where God says, I will shake everything I've created, both in heaven and earth, to get you to trust an unshakable kingdom. So in the world around us is shaking, the situations are shaking, the struggles are there. What's the, what's the question that God so often wants to ask us and seeks an answer? Because in that struggle, in that answer, we find the means by which the next thing comes. I still remember, you've heard me tell the story so many times of sitting in Stephen Pam Brown's den after a Bible study on a Tuesday night. And he He's telling me that Satan has stolen his practice. He lost hundreds of patients, I think, in one day because of a clerical error, not because of his treatment, but because of billing. And lost all these, I think, Medicaid children. And I, I told him, I said, Steve, I don't know how you're going to handle this, but I'll tell you right now, it's not God. I mean, it's not Satan. Kind of looked at me kind of funny and he said, well, what is it then? I said, it's God. He's got a question he needs to ask you. Because what he has for you next requires this answer. All of this going on around you, all this difficulty, all the questions, all the uncertainty you have right now is because he has a question 
he wants to ask you. Steve said, what's the question? He wants to know if there were no patience, if there was no practice, he wants to know if for you he would be enough. Because what he has planned for you cannot be done until you answer that question. So on that Saturday morning after that Tuesday, I get a call from Steve from Cloudcroft, and he said he was a bit blown away. He said, I went to the website uh, where 20-plus years ago, said, Pam and I went on this mission trip to Kenya. And he said, when I was in Kenya, we were in this situation. He said at that time he was a, a physician's assistant. And he said, I remember telling God, if, I, if you'll let me go home and become a doctor, I'll come back. So he opened his computer that morning and went to the organization. I'm, uh, I'm trying to think the name of it. It's out of Pearl River, New York. But uh, uh, he said he opened their web, their web page, and he said in the headline, this said, needed a pediatrician in Kenya. It took him a little longer than he, than he intended to get the funds raised, but he spent three years as a physician in the large hospital in Ventuk, Namibia, uh, bringing life. But you see, I, he couldn't do that until this question, born in this challenge, was answered. You see, Joseph at any time would have loved for any of those situations to be changed, altered. For this butler to two years earlier gone to Pharaoh and said, there's a pretty nice guy in here. I wish you'd kind of consider him, maybe let him go. And he might have let him go. We would have thought that's a great story. But two more years until the butler remembers in the middle of this great need, in the middle of, the, of this onset of this famine. And Joseph interprets this dream, and now he's second only, only to Pharaoh so that he can bring his family, families, nation, into the land of Goshen. Remarkable story found in these little details of understanding what God was doing in the moment. And that's the question that we often fail to ask him. God, what is your purpose in this? We just want out of it. We just want to do what Joseph did. Would you tell somebody I'm in here so we can see if we can get this fixed? And God is saying, I got purpose in this. I've got real purpose in it. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sow me, for God did send me before you to preserve life. Joseph was finally able to understand the dream that he had as a young man, and now he could interpret all of that that he had seen, all that had occurred, why he was sold, why he was in Potiphar's house, 
why he was lied about, why he was in prison, why he, he, did, the, he did these dreams, why he did these dreams, because now standing in front of his brothers, ready to bring a nation to the land of Goshen, he understood all that, he, all that had occurred. What an amazing and remarkable moment when we understand and get to see this, uh, this large purpose. I can't tell you how many questions I have about, for Jan and I, all of what's next. I don't know what that looks like. I will dream very small things I will build a lot of protection around my mind and my heart saying, well, we could try this, we could try this. It's like God keeps telling me, you can't, you can't have a single moment of thought about result because it, nothing may look like you expect it to look. If somebody back there was showing Joseph his brothers are bowing down to him and him to say, okay, but this is the path you're going to be on for that to occur, he would have never, it would have never dawned on him. My brothers are going to bow down to me. It's going to mean I'm going to have to be sold. I'm going to be lied about. I'm going to be forgotten. It would have never been the path that, that anybody would have dreamed of. Without understanding, without interpretation, without us having this ability that only the Spirit gives to minister to others, to be able, and this shouldn't be unique, to any one person sitting in this sanctuary at any given time, any part of this body, we are all equally capable in the spirit of understanding and helping somebody with what's going on in their story. That's not unique to any one of us. If, if the spirit of God resides in us, that spirit, because remember, Joseph keeps coming back. It's not me, it's, it's him. It's not me, it's him. It's not me, it's him. Well, any of us can say, it's not me, it's him. Faithful is he who calleth you, who will also do it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. Faithful is he who calleth you, who will also do it. He doesn't intend for us to do it. But how many times along this journey, have we been so anxious to get God to intervene and God saying, if I intervene and remove what you want me to remove, I can never accomplish through you the greatness of what I can see that you can't yet see. Without understanding, without interpretation, he would not have been able to see this, this remarkable outcome. He would have been controlled by what? <clears throat> what do you think the, excuse me, <clears throat> absent this interpretation, absent this outcome, what would have been the evidence that, that shows through Joseph's life? Take, take this away. Take this encounter with his brother so that he could actually see why was I sold? Why was I lied about? Why was I forgotten? Why was I brought before Pharaoh? Why did I have this ability to interpret dreams? You take that away. What does Joseph look like? Slave. Slave. Bitter. Angry. Rage. 
we would, we would have a very different Joseph. We will have very different believers if we don't seek God's understanding, his purpose, and the things that he's doing. I don't know why it's so hard for us to ask that question. It's not hard for us to ask him to help us. It's not hard for him to ask him to intervene, to fix the situation, to make something better. Very unusual for us, though, to say, God, I know you've got purpose in this, and my faith is in you, not in what I can see, because I know you're working all things, all things for my good. <clears throat> the key question for us now, kind of at the end of this long story, wonderful story. It's one of the, again, it's just remarkable story of, of the story of Joseph and ending in this great moment. The beginning of Exodus telling us that the, the new Pharaoh didn't remember any of this, didn't remember Joseph and all that he had done, didn't remember that hell. So here's a question for all of us. Who is your interpreter for the events of your life? Who's interpreting your story for you to you? Now, we heard Joseph say, interpretation, real meaning Real understanding belongs to God. And wouldn't it be wonderful if that's actually the way we lived? But who very often is our interpreter? Well, I'm, I, I, I put in my list of three, and you can add to this list, I put one of the people that we allow to interpret is Satan. He's a really notorious liar. And he loves to add to and he loves to take away from the truth to make that which God is using to seem terrible and dire or to paint a picture better than it really is. Because Satan, we, we actually let him become one of the interpreters of, of our story. It's his voice of fear, of doubt, of division that we will listen to, to that begins to explain to me what's going on in my story. He will let him actually become the interpreter. But more than likely, probably even more likely than Satan, is that we let life experience and history do the interpreting. So what does that mean? It means... I've been down this road before. I've seen this before. I've seen it in somebody else. I know the history. I know what's going on. I know that it's, it, it, we will let former things determine how we interpret current things. And what's the ability of former things to tell us the truth about current things? Can't do it. It can do it. I, I, again, I asked. It's fun to do, but I'll reach in my, in my desk drawer and I'll pull out that ping pong ball and I'll hold it in my hand and I'll say, it's a ping pong ball. 
and I'll just throw it. And what will everybody do? They'll catch it. And I'll ask them, why'd you catch it? Why'd you catch it? Well, you threw it? No, not, not an acceptable answer. Why'd you catch it? Well, I didn't want it to hit me. And I said, I told you it was a ping pong ball. Why did you catch the ball? And after a few t attempts, they'll say, oh, I don't know then. And I'll tell them, well, it's because when you were this big and somebody had a ball and they gave you this motion, what did they say? Catch. You've been programmed. The reason you caught it was because you had been programmed to catch a ball coming to you. And I said, if you could stop the ball up here in midair, then you could process all the options. You could catch it, you could hit it, you could move, or you could let it hit you. It's a ping pong ball. Four perfectly acceptable answers, but because we can't stop it, we go to the one we're programmed to use. So if I don't stop long enough and actually pursue God in purpose, what's this really about? What are you doing? What are you growing? What am I designed to see? If I don't stop and ask him that question, my mind and the answer will come out of that which I have been programmed to think. I won't even give it a chance. My history, your history, our history together will, will become the interpreter of life events. Well, this is going on because this went on before. This is just the way it happens. No, it's not. The third one I put down here that we let <clears throat> become the interpreter of our stories and the events is other people's opinions. You ever see that happen? I don't do Facebook. I hear a lot about Facebook. You put something out there that's going on in your story, uh, apparently, how many responses could you get? How many opinions could you get? Do I? At least two. Yeah, I'm probably going to get at least two. And so the interpretation of our lives begins to happen by the opinions of others. Well, it's because of this. It's because they did this. It's because this is what's going on. It's because they don't do this or they have done this. And so our, the interpreter of our story, the events of our life, either going to, we're going to let Satan interpret, we're going to let our history interpret, or we're going to let the opinions of others interpret. And I'm sure there are more on that list. Family rolls into that opinion of others. Now, this is why this is going on. We can add to that previous teaching. Previous church and religious teaching will, will kind of sandwich us into, now that's why this is happening. No, we've got to stop. We've got to ask. We have to seek. What is going on here? This becomes not something that we just actively practice. This becomes something that we almost automatically practice. I love it when somebody comes into my office and they've got these questions and it's like, we, it's like you know, Danny and Amy brought me one other day. It's like, I never heard that one before. But I love those moments. 
I love what it does because it makes us let our mind run through the hallways of a kingdom. When we're hit with those things that we don't immediately know answers to or there's no real clarity to, our minds open these huge doors and our mind begins to search through truth held only in a kingdom and only the kingdom where God is king. Because it's in that we will find truth that doesn't exist anywhere else. Understanding that's not possible somewhere else. But we open up these huge doors and our minds enter this great vault. And we begin to seek understanding from God about these moments, Donna. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll share that in just a second after I turn off the mic. But it's, it's just amazing when we begin to search God. He will give us great clarity and we will then be able to see. Again, I'll share this one just quickly. When I, I've told you all this story so many times, but I went, I went into that brief season of depression. It's terrible. Darkest days of my life in the middle of that. And when it was over, as abruptly as it started, started in a few minutes, ended in a few minutes. And again, when that young man, you know, still know his name, came into my office out on the Central Mallet, and I looked at him and I said, you thought about killing yourself this morning. What happens when I get to see the clarity of his story? I get to see this. I get to, this is Joseph's moment with his brothers. Oh, I get to see why I was sold into slavery. I get to see why I was forgotten. I get to see why this struggle and why this struggle, because I get to see this end. I get to see this end when I'm talking to this young man and I expose something that he thought was so well hidden. He was so devastated. And we talked and we talked and we talked in my office that day. And I get to see, oh, I know now why when I came out of Methodist Hospital, this thing hit. I know now why, what it's like when somebody's sitting there trying to decide, do I take the medication or not? And I have much more compassion over this story than I used to have. And I understand why I went through this. And I've got other stories since then when I could talk to somebody about depression and recognize and even for them challenge, maybe we need to rethink and maybe, maybe this is not what the doctor said it was. I've got one of those stories going to a lady's home with her husband and, and saying, I know you've been diagnosed. I know what they said. I don't believe it. Like how, how could you not believe it? Well, because I've, I've been inside this story. I've been there. And I know a little bit about the story from being inside it. And she thrives today. Completely free of it. Challenged because of a journey that I had been on. That never would make sense if I didn't let God show me at the end of these stories. 
And then you get to look back and say, oh, I see, God, what you were doing. I see what you were trying to show me, what you were trying to teach me. First thing we have to do is stop letting unqualified people interpret our story and let him do it. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.